0: Daily News and Analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today.
1: Chinese Premier Li Qiang has called for the world to stick together in the face of challenges in his address to the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos. A mainland official says communications between the mainland and Taiwan must be based on the 1992 consensus. The Chinese economy grew by 5.2% in 2023. Welcome to World Today, a news program with a different perspective. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. To listen to this episode again or to catch up on previous episodes, you can download our podcast by searching World Today. Chinese Premier Li Qiang is in Ireland following his visit to Switzerland. Switzerland. Upon arrival, he said, cooperation between China and Ireland has broad prospects and great potential. The two countries are celebrating 45 years of diplomatic ties this year. Li Qiang arrived in Dublin after attending the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland. Addressing the World Economic Forum, the Chinese premier has stressed the importance of multilateralism. The premier says the world must stick together in the face of challenges. He also reaffirmed global business leaders about China's momentum in opening up an economic recovery. Now for more, Zhao Yang spoke with Professor Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics at University of International Business and Economics. So Professor Liu,
2: what's your main takeaways from, you know, Premier Li's speech at the World Economic
3: Forum annual meeting? Well, I think it's very inspiring and also very practical because uh, he demonstrated the vision uh, charted out by President Xi uh, with regard to the uh, shared community uh, for, for all mankind, uh, with which he enlisted uh, five areas uh, for further cooperation. And the value proposition is very clear that uh, we have a shared world and now uh, everyone will have to really ramp up uh, for collaboration on a number of important issues that impact the human life. In which he uh, identified cooperation in technology, cooperation in uh, trade and investment, and also cooperation in human capacity And of course, also green development is uh, one of the highlights. And then he also uh, emphasized on the uh, Chinese commitment to provide national treatment to global multinational uh, corporations and also to assure the world community that a China store remains open and will open wider. Mm. I think this is going to give a lot more confidence to multiple stakeholders around the world uh, with regard to the Chinese attitude and the Chinese behavior in uh, dealing with the rest of the world.
2: Mm. And he particularly mentioned multilateralism in his speech. So what true multilateralism is?
3: Multilateralism is really following a very basic principle of economic collaboration. By uh, working together, people can specialize their skills and then that can really contribute to the common prosperity. So uh, multilateralism uh, will mean that there is no discrimination, there is no protectionist behavior, and uh, all the trust will have to be uh, demonstrated in terms of the collaboration structures, and then uh, people will have to be committed to all their promises with regard to multilateral treaties, uh, regional treaties, and also promises to uh, all the stakeholders. So therefore, uh, for China, the commitment to open the door, the commitment to shorten the negative list to multinational companies is one way to show that a uh, Chinese view of uh, 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 multilateralism. And more importantly, I think he also mentioned about the Nouse, uh South Corporation and South-South Corporation Uh, which is also uh, a big portion of multilateralism.
2: Mm. And he agreed with the topic of the World Economic Forum, which is rebuilding trust. And he also focused on China's economic status. He elaborated that China's growth will be 5.2 percent for last year. And this is already above the country's target of 5 percent. So tell us more about China's participation in the global economy. How can China's growth contribute to the global economy at this uh, critical juncture?
3: Well, Over the past four decades, China has made huge progress to enrich people's life and also has uh, contributed to world economic growth by more than 30 percent. The fact that China remains a very sophisticated manufacturing hub uh, that is there not only provide the welfare of global consumers, but also is there to actually to alleviate some of the environmental concerns of those major high income countries by Uh, hosting a number of companies in the manufacturing sector. And uh, uh, also that China uh, has the uh, 100 trillion market, uh, which provides a huge opportunity for global investments and also for global trade. And uh, this is really a major attraction to the uh, multinational companies that are are engaging with Chinese uh, peers. And uh, then Uh, China is also committed to uh, the technological innovation It's not there. China is really dumping the world with low end products. We are also moving uh, very rapidly in terms of the uh, product innovation, branding and also uh, showing the right type of uh, corporate social responsibility around the world.
2: Mm. And as you mentioned, a key message from Premier Li was China continues to open up. China's doors are going to be wider and wider, and China welcomes the foreign investment. And in relation to that, I think Premier Li also talked about the vision on China. The sight on China should be longer, further and deeper. And he also gave a number of, uh, you know, foreign direct investment returns due above 9%. So how do you explain that?
3: Well, over the past four years, uh, there has been a lot of doubts and even skepticism uh, with regard to Chinese economic growth, with also regard to Chinese economic policy, and particularly now the due circulation has been uh, largely misinterpreted in China is trying to close its door. So Premier is there to uh, disperse the uh, such sort subtle of cloud and uh, assure the world China is there to uh, keep open and open wider. And he also brought up very specific uh, measures that are uh, there to show Chinese commitment by uh, shortening the negative list, by providing equal treatment to all uh, businesses uh, according to Chinese commitment. And also China has also reduced its tariff uh, to uh, down to uh, 7.3% on the average which is really comparable to the uh, developed world, um, and some more, far more commitment as to uh, the uh, WTO. All these efforts are there to show that uh, you know foreign companies can really enjoy their uh, enabling environment in China, and uh, their return, uh, nearly ten percent, is something that is uh, very ru- lucrative uh, given the complex global environment. So uh, China's uh, business environment. Uh, in a nutshell, is stable and also is uh, inspiring. Mm. And he
2: also talked a lot about the uh, green development. Uh, Actually, Baocheng, how much potential is there for China's green development? The Chinese premier gives some detailed information about the uh, electric vehicles, some 20 million of them running electric vehicles on the Chinese road, right? So he also talked about China's importance of uh, having the medium and high quality manufacturing sector that can provide support for the development of a green industry, right?
3: Yes, uh, admittedly, China uh, is the uh, carbon dioxide, uh, but uh, with uh, good reason, because China is really making a lot of uh, uh, the gauges for the world. And also we import a lot of materials. And having said that, China has made huge efforts for the green transformation uh, with regard to, uh, number one, to uh, restructure its uh, energy portfolio by boosting the uh, uh, solar energy, the uh, wind energy, and uh, uh, hydro energy. And secondly, uh, China is really investing huge uh, in the uh, innovation in the industry towards green development. And now uh, many of the uh, Chinese companies are uh, either pressurized or motivated to uh, move towards an uh, environmentally friendly operation. And then uh, third, it does really help China to increase its added value uh, in terms of the export and build their own competitiveness around the world. So uh, over the years, we see that uh, uh, given the commitment of carbon peaking and carbon neutrality, and uh, China has made a uh, tremendous amount of progress, uh, not only uh, within domestic market, but also uh, uh, contributing to the world by providing, uh, uh, particularly uh, along the Belt and Road, a lot of uh, uh, the new energy uh, products uh, like uh, uh, the uh, solar powers and also providing more, as you mentioned, of the e-vehicles around the world.
2: Mm -hmm. And when talking about rebuilding the trust, uh, he acknowledges that uh, much of the global growth in the past five decades was thanks to the trust between economies, major economies. Then trust now is a bit lost because of all kinds of conflicts and geopolitical tensions. And he made a few suggestions for the world community in five ways. So could you elaborate more on that?
3: Well, trust is the basis for any meaningful cooperation. There are two levels of trust uh, given the global uh, economic environment. One is that, uh, uh, well, do members of the world community trust each other? Second, uh, do members of the world community trust the uh, global trading platforms that each of them have already made their commitments? So the globalization over the past uh, five decades uh, is uh, there to bring the trust between members and also among members uh, with regard to their uh, global treaties. And uh, we do see that uh, over the years, the trust has been eroded largely by one is hegemonism around the world, uh, the other is the national security considerations, which is overstretched, and now the de-risking. So I think Premier Lee also addressed the the issue that uh China is not the risk, but China is really the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that may really help to bring a new outlook for Chinese uh, progressive the advancement in terms of the business environment and also its uh, contribution to the world in terms of technology and also green development.
2: Mm-hmm. So after attending the World Economic Forum meeting, Premier Li has already arrived in Dublin for an official visit to Ireland. So how do you see the China-Ireland relations going forward?
3: Well, China and Ireland has really uh, maintained a very stable relationship and also a meaningful collaboration The uh, Ireland uh, has really suffered a great deal due to the financial crisis, but uh, they are able to quickly manage to stand their own feet by uh, making a lot more uh, progressive uh, efforts. And China is there uh, to uh, further strengthen the uh, collaboration in terms of the investment. And also we uh, broke the hallmark of uh, uh, 20 billion U.S. dollars of trade And now more of the Chinese uh, companies are looking at them because they also uh, have a a comparative advantage in terms of the uh, innovation. And also they provide the entry point to enter the entire uh, EU market, given it's a a very solid EU member. And this is uh, particularly important uh, uh, given the uh, Brexit by the U.K.,
1: You're listening to World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. A mainland official says communications between the mainland and Taiwan must be based on the 1992 consensus, which recognizes the one-China principle. Spokesperson Chen Binghua from the State Council's Taiwan Affairs Office says reunification is at the center of China's core interests. Chen Binhua also took the opportunity to address various questions. Zhao Yunfei has the details.
4: The spokesperson Chen Binhua has to answer multiple questions addressing Taiwan-related questions. The spokesperson mentioned multiple layers of the One China Principle. He emphasized the historical facts of the One China Principle and the international consensus of this. And it becomes even more important. He serves as a trend of times, according to the spokesperson, after uh, Nauru announced uh, it severs so-called diplomatic ties with Taiwan and the country on Monday says that it wants to re-establish the ties with China. This is a tense country that has severe diplomatic relations with Taiwan since the DPP authorities came to power. There is only one China in the world and Taiwan is an inalienable part of the Chinese territory. This is both a legal and historical fact as well as the prevailing consensus of the international community. We express our appreciation to the relevant country for making the right decision in response to the general trend. It has been proven time and again
0: that upholding
4: the one-China principle is the will of the people and the trend of the times. Well, Nauru's decision on Monday came just two days after Taiwan's Democratic Progressive Party authorities uh, declared a victory over the regional uh, leadership election on Saturday. Well, Chen Ninhua says, uh, just the answer from the spokesperson really gives an idea that you have to look at the uh, results of the election from uh, multiple fields, and you have to take a look at the both two elections, the leadership election, as well as the legislature election, given the fact that although uh, Lai Qingze has uh, claimed victory at the leadership election, the the party got fewer votes compared with the election four years ago. But if you look at the hundred and 13-seat legislature election, uh, the DPP won, uh, garnered 51 seats, while the Chinese Kuomintang garnered 52 seats, uh, more seats than DPP. It shows that uh, the DPP authorities cannot represent the mainstream public view.
1: Zhao Yunfei with the report. For more, I earlier spoke with Dr. Zhou Wenxing, assistant professor at the School of International Studies, Nanjing University. Wenxin, thanks for talking to me. So regarding the results of the two elections in the Taiwan region, Chen Binghua said the results show that the Democratic Progressive Party cannot represent the mainstream public opinion in Taiwan. How do you inter- interpret his words? I mean, why did he say that the DPP cannot represent the public opinion uh, when Lai ching had won the election?
5: Uh, yes, thank you for the questions. Uh, we should bear in our mind that despite the fact that Nighthinder had won the election of leadership of the Taiwan island. They only gained support from around 40% of voters, while their KMT and TPP counterparts had attracted around um, 33% and 26% of voters respectively. So in other words, there's about 60% of voters on the island did not vote for the TPP candidates. So this does show the fact emphasized by uh, Chen Binhua, that the DPP cannot represent the mainstream public opinion in Taiwan. So he is true in this sense.
1: Now, uh, as you already hinted in the island's legislature, the Chinese Kuomintang Party garnered 52 seats. Um, The total is 113 seats and the DPP won 51 seats one seat uh, behind the Kuomintang party. Also, the Taiwan People's Party seized eight seats and the rest two went to independent candidates. So uh, the DPP actually lost its advantage compared to the last election. What does that tell us? How do they reflect the opinion of the Taiwan people?
5: Uh, yes, indeed. Um, compared with the election of the United nature in 2020, the KMT did achieve a significant victory. I mean, the KMT became now the largest party in terms of majority of seats in the legislative branch. The TPP also had a biggest win with six seats. And on the other hand, the DPP lost 10 seats, making the newly elected Nai Qingde Mm. a lame-dark leader. So we should expect that the new DPP authorities would be balanced and checked in the next four years by the opposition parties, including the TPP, KMT, and the two independent senators. And the results of the election in Senator re- reflect the opinion of the Taiwan people. They show the fact that a majority of Taiwan people do not want conflict and war. Instead, they want peace and stability. So they voted for the KMT candidates who advocate dialogues, communications, and the cooperation with the Chinese mainland. <laughs>
1: So in your observation, what issues are on the minds of people in Taiwan when when they went to the the polling stations?
5: Well, this is a very uh, complicated question. Mm. Um, Scholars of Taiwan studies would argue that people would have uh, totally different perceptions and concerns when they cast their votes in two elections. I mean, the leadership election and also the election in the legislature. So, but from my perspective, I think there are generally two concerns they would have in their mind. Uh, the first one is that they um, would choose uh, from peace versus war, and whether they would choose de- development versus distribu- distribution uh, of development. You know, comparatively, the KMT is better, uh, much better at making peace with the mainland and also much better at boosting Taiwan's economic development. And the TPP is just different. So the facts would be more complicated, of course, but I think Taiwan people would have growing concerns if the situation across the Taiwan Strait becomes much terms, much turns, And any factor connected with this uh, would probably influence their decision while uh, casting their votes.
1: Well, I'm sure you have watched uh, the speech by Lai ching um, on election night. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you think uh, Lai ching will approach the 1992 consensus, uh, a very important uh, principle on cross-strait relations? And does the, this consensus risk further erosion under his watch?
5: Yes, this is a very good question. Uh, if I am right, Lai ching has never recognized the 1992 consensus. Uh, And in fact, he sharply criticizes the consensus. uh, We should know that the core connotation of this consensus is that according to the Taiwan Affairs Office of the mainland, that both sides of the strait belong to one China and uh, work together to strive for national unification. Apparently, this runs against the perceptions and the policy stance on the Taiwan question held by the DPP. So I don't think lie will accept the consensus uh, in the next four years uh, or something. And the future t- trajectory would only be much worse that, yes, the consensus does risk further erosion under Nice watch.
1: Responding to Lai ching De's comments that dialogue will lower risks uh, across the Taiwan Straits, Chen Binghua said all parties and organizations can communicate with the mainland on the basis of the one-China principle. He also said the independence uh, separatist position by the DPP is a real hurdle to dialogues. So how do you interpret uh, Chen's remarks? Uh, what kind of message do you think he's sending to Lai ching De?
5: Well, I think uh, Chen Binghua's remarks uh, represent the current policy of the Chinese mainland toward Taiwan, and that is the mainland uh, is still striving for peaceful reunification with Taiwan and opposing any independence motions and movements on the island. So, to achieve this goal, Beijing still wants to communicate with uh, all parties and organizations on the island, including uh, any individuals, political parties or or anything um, who would share the one China principle. So this is the only political uh, foundation that if any uh, people, parties, organization on the island share with mainland, that they could be those people or organization that Beijing might find uh, cooperate with. But uh, I mean, both Nai Qingde and the TPP do not accept the one China principle. So, this is a question. Nai Qingde is the real hurdle to dialogue as uh, what uh, Chen Binhua said.
1: Now, uh, Chen Binhua also responded to online comments of resolving the Taiwan question by force. He said this reflects uh, concerns and worries in the Taiwan region about instability brought by the DPP. So, do you see the cha- do you see changes in the mainland's policy on the Taiwan question after these two recent elections? Why or why not?
5: Well, as I just said, Chiang uh, Minghua's remarks uh, represent the mainland's official policy toward Taiwan, and Beijing would not change its policy on the Taiwan question merely because of the results of two elections. Uh, according to Taiwan Affairs uh, Office of the Chinese mainland. These elections are regional elections in Taiwan, which would, of course, not change the strategic goal of Beijing, that it, it will continue to seek for reunification with Taiwan peacefully. So mm-hmm. this is a strategic goal. Of course, there are many reasons behind this strategic goal that why Beijing would have this um, strategic goal. But I think both sides belong to uh, Chinese people who are one family. And family members would not fight against each other. I think this is one of the most important uh, reasons that why uh, Beijing would not change its policy uh, on this issue.
1: That was Dr. Zhou Wenxing, Assistant Professor at School of International Studies at Nanjing University. Coming up, Chinese economy up by 5.2% in 2023. You're listening to World Today. For further discussions, you can follow us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun. We'll be right back after a short break. Wang, chief economist of Hang Bank China. The world today is a real fun program. You will hear interesting people discussing global trend, economic event, what's happening in and outside of China. So, friends around the world, hope you can join us. Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. China's gross domestic product grew by 5.2% in 2023 to top 126 trillion yuan, or 17.5 trillion U.S. dollars. In the fourth quarter, the Chinese economy expanded by 5.2%. Dai Kai breaks it down for us.
6: Many of the major sectors are on an upward trend. They're on that track of recovery. Actually, if we look at industrial output, it grew by 4.6% year on year. And equipment manufacturing grew even faster. It registered a 6.8% rise. And uh, retail sales had a 7.2% rise. And if we look at different areas, online retail sales grew especially strong. It had an 11 percent rise. Other than than that, we see investment in uh, infrastructure and per capita disposable income going up. And imports and exports, grain production, consumer price index and employment all remaining stable. So authorities say China's growth outpaced the projected 3 percent global average in 2023 and it leads among many of the major economies and is expected to serve as a major engine contributing over 30% to global economic growth in 2023 its exports grew slightly despite global trade slowdowns and its prices stayed at a reasonable level against the backdrop of a high inflation uh, you know in many other regions and countries but officials say china still faces a severe Uh, complex and uncertain external environment. And domestically, there are also challenges like insufficient demands and also overcapacity in certain industries. So it requires careful management in both maintaining that vitality of the economy and also mitigate risks.
1: That was Dekai Yi with the report. Now for more, we're joined by Liu Zhikin, Senior Fellow of Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Remy University of China. Thank you for joining us again. It's good to have you back on the show. First of all, put in the global context, how should we uh, we really view the growth rate of 5.2%? I
7: should say that 5.2% is already within the expectation because since several weeks that the world and many domestic experts have already expressed the very satisfied forecast of other China's GDP last year, so 5.2% is uh, not an easy job and not an easy target. As we know that uh, last year is uh, high in uh, high risky year for the whole global um, economy, especially for geopolitical conflicts in Europe and in Asia countries are intensifying, and also the high inflation and high price for the commodities. Uh, sections that uh, has negative influence of the market. And many countries, especially for the major countries, their economic recovery is sluggish that far behind the people's expect. So also we can see that many countries, the social security or social stability is also destroyed because of the bad performance of the economic recovery. So all in all we can see that China really plays a very important role in the global uh, economy, and also shows a good future for the whole world. That means that if we try our best, that we can get the best result. So this is a a very sincere theory theory for all countries uh, to be involved in the economic recovery, recovery because China has so many uncertainties and uh, uh, challenges, but China has done its best job, also very uh, high contribution to the world global recovery.
1: Mm. Well, as you said, Kang Yi, uh, who is head of the National Bureau of Statistics, said at a press conference Wednesday morning that China's contribution to global growth in 2023 is expected to surpass um, 30%. Uh, So in your opinion... um, the 5.2% growth, I mean, what has the central government done right to achieve this uh, annual set goal of around 5%?
7: I should say in, in the last year, from the very beginning, I think that our government has set up uh, a, a new system and a monitoring system that for the economic recovery, especially a series of uh, supportive and effective policies to support the whole economy, for instance, how to stimulate the state owned companies to make a, its a further reform, uh, and also have more efforts to to support and stimulate the uh, private economies. Especially, we have last year almost 500 different articles and regulations in order to govern the development of the private economy. All of this, all that we have tried best to push the economy that in the right direction. And the third also have many uh, good policies for financial sections that have had to support the real economy. So I think that these three points that have shown that our government really has done a, a good job, excellent job that to support the whole economy recovery in the right way and also in the right uh, direction. Mm. Also, we can see that China's uh, the uh, status uh, position in the global uh, supply chain is uh, remains stable and remains sustainable. This is very important for the more confidence of the world.
1: Mm. Now, uh, can we say that the Chinese economy has fully come back from the pandemic? In your opinion,
7: uh, in my opinion, that uh, almost will come back, but not uh, not really. But because we need uh, something that more to do. For instance. For the service industry, we still uh, a lot of space to to play, and more efforts should be uh, invested in the uh, service industry. Service industry, including financial sections, including communications, and all uh, other uh, parts of this industry. Still, we need a lot of jobs to do. And uh, secondly, also we have further uh, reform, especially in the economic. uh, and the financial sections, how to have a high-quality development, high-quality open-up. This is something that we need still more time and more consuming um, efforts that to uh, fulfill our uh, target. So, and the third is very important that China has a lot of uncertainties and challenges imposed by some Western countries mm. because there are new policies or decoupling on something also still have negative uh, in, uh, impact on China's economy. So all these things that ask China that, um, to further develop its economy with all efforts, so still not full 100%, but I think 80%, 90% already come back.
0: Mm.
1: One last question. So moving forward uh, in 2024, what do you think will be the main growth engine for the Chinese economy?
7: In my opinion that the China's uh, uh, the main engine for the economy recovery or not not only recovery but a further development is the manufacturing sector, especially in the AI innovation, because this has become the major driving force in our economy as the central government has set up nine budgets in this year. The first one is the, to develop to strengthen the science technological innovation. This is the main driver section because if we get this fulfilled or realized that all other parts of the industry could be well developed. So this is a very important thing, especially in the manufacturing, but also science and technologies uh, development to further support our economy as a whole.
1: Mm, indeed, the international community is having their eyes on the Chinese economy very closely. Thank you. That was Liu Zhitin, Senior Fellow of Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China in Beijing. You're listening to World Today. We'll be right back.
5: Hello, my name is Alessandro Golombievs Teixeira. I'm a professor of public policy management at Tsinghua University in Beijing. I am a great listener of The World Today. In my opinion, The World Today is one of the best China radio programs. In The World Today, we can get the best news and analysis in what is happening now in the world. So please come to join us.
1: Welcome back. This is World Today. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. French President Emmanuel Macron has suggested that for Europe, the most significant risk to global order is the Ukraine crisis. Macron made the remarks in a wide-ranging press conference on Tuesday. He announced the delivery of an extensive arsenal of weapons to Kyiv and revealed that he will visit Ukraine in February. Macron promised a stronger France to face the world's challenges and said his plans were for quote-unquote France to stay France. On domestic issues, Macron announced a wide array of measures addressing concerns including the cost of living, education reform, health care, among others. Macron says he wants to turn the page on last year's contested pension and immigration reforms. Now, for more, we're joined by Dr. Cui Hongjian. He is professor with the Academy of Regional and Global Governance at Beijing Foreign Studies University. Thank you, Dr. Cui. Hi. Now, Dr. Cui, in this very broad-themed press conference, one of the key messages by Macron is the promise of a stronger France and that France will stay France. I mean, what does he mean? How, How should we interpret his words?
8: During the press conference, as we know, it's a time for President Macron uh, to, uh, you know, public its uh, his uh, policy on the domestic and also external relations. I think this uh, uh, word by uh, President Macron on stronger France and uh, France will stay France uh, showed uh, his uh, continued, I mean, uh, attitude or stand on his uh, policy, especially uh, for the. Uh, Uh, current changing international relations. Also, you know, since uh, President Macron uh, took the power as the president, uh, you know, in the year of uh, 2018, Mm. he tried to uh, address this um, uh, issue of uh, how to protect and also promoting the European uh, sovereignty. And then he has been trying to uh, push forward the issue of uh, Building up um, this European uh, strategic autonomy. So I think that uh, it shows that uh, France and also Macron's administration will try to uh, find out its own position and its own interests and then uh, to decide every side of uh, his policies. Mm. And also, as we know, especially during the uh, dramatic. Uh, uh, competition or gaming between uh, major powers. I think it shows uh, France uh, is willing to uh, be part of the uh, uh, power gaming and also try to uh, get some more uh, interest from these uh, competitions.
1: Mm. Well, an interesting thing uh, he said during the press conference is that for Europe, the most significant risk to global order is the Ukraine crisis. I mean, does his statement represent the thought in Europe overall? And how do you think this will be reflected in the foreign policy of uh, France?
8: Certainly. Uh, even now, as we know, there are more uh, conflicts or crises over the world. But still, the Ukraine crisis is still the uh, major or biggest challenge for most of the European countries. On this regard, I think President Macron shared the, almost the same uh, failing with other, uh, European countries. But of course, now the biggest uh, problem for, uh, France and the Europe is, uh, they could not find that a real solution or a real way, uh, to, you know, deal with a complicated situation, especially, uh, because of the, uh, have to, uh, you know, depend on the, so called, uh, so-called, uh a security guarantee from NATO, from the United States. So now I think that uh, for France and Europe, uh, still they could not take the fate in their own hand. But of course, now I think that uh, in the year, especially this year, I think France and the European countries, uh, they will try to find some more possibility uh, to push forward this uh, crisis into a direction for some more uh, political settlement.
0: Mm.
8: Uh, But of course, I think the uh, precondition for this uh, change would be uh, France and the European countries. They could find a real strategic autonomy for European countries.
1: Indeed. Well, regarding the United States, Macron cautions that regardless of who wins the White House in 2024, Europe should brace for the fact that America, quote unquote, is a democracy that is also going through crisis. Uh, Macron said America's first priority is itself and that its second priority is China. So following his thought on this. What kind of um, balance do you think France will try to strike between the great power competition between US and China?
8: Firstly, I think this year, uh, for France and some other European countries, uh, they have to uh, fear the biggest trouble would be you know, something happened uh, uh, eight years ago, which means that uh, once there are some uh, big change in American politics mm-hmm. certainly it will give some uh, you know negative impact on so-called transatlantic relations.
5: Mm-hmm.
8: So I think that uh, uh, Mr. Macron and some other European leaders now they are keep very close or observation on the uh, you know domestic policy, uh, politics of the uh, United States. So I think it will depends on who will be in the White House after this uh, November. I think it will very decisive uh, for the policy from France towards the United States. Regarding to the you know, policy towards China, certainly, I think that uh, even uh, France and the European countries they regarded themselves as the alliance with the United States, but still, they try to have some more cooperation. They need to try to uh, strengthen their partnership with China. So to keep some you know a degree balance, Between the U.S. and China should be, I think, uh, mainstream for European leaders and most of the European countries.
1: Mm. Dr. Sui, we have about a minute to wrap up the conversation, but uh, Macron is facing a lack of majority in the French parliament. How do you think he will pursue some of the domestic issues moving forward, like the reform in schools and public health system?
8: Still, I think the uh, very big challenge for uh, Macron's administration this year uh, they, uh, domestic issues. Even last year, uh, they tried to uh, you know, pass some uh, uh, issues from the parliament, especially this year as we know there are European parliament elections. So to deal with the uh, challenges from far-right uh, political force and also to uh, practice more uh, reforms still uh, I think the biggest challenge for um, President Macron and his government.
1: mm. Well, it'd be interesting to see how, you know, with the new premier, uh, prime minister in France, uh, how he will will pursue these issues. But thank you. We appreciate your time and insight. That was Dr. Cui Hongjian, professor with Academy of Regional and Global Governance at Beijing Foreign Studies University. This is World Today. Stay with us.
4: Hello, I am Dr. Digby James Wren, a political analyst and international relations scholar specializing in China-area studies. World Today offers unmatched in-depth perspectives on China's politics, economics, business, technology and society. World Today's team of reporters and contributors provides valuable information from all of the world's major economies. I hope you can join me on World Today for the very best insights and news from China, on China, and help to build a better understanding of China's role in the world today.
1: Welcome back to the show. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Founder of the world's biggest hedge fund firm, Ray Dalio, has expressed his confidence in China overcoming current economic hurdles. In an interview with CDTN's Tian Wei at this year's Davos meetings, Ray Dalio of Bridgewater Associates says, if any entity can navigate the challenges posed by a sluggish real estate market and its repercussions on local government finances, it is China. He highlighted China's resilience and pointed to the development of Chinese technologies in wind power, electric vehicles and semiconductors as evidence of the power of Chinese
0: inventiveness. One of the times for the Chinese premier to interact with the ODI international community, including 800 global CEOs, I really wonder what is uh, the nature of curiosity these days from the business community about China? For example, reflecting in your
9: work. Of course, there's been changes in China in a way where um, the business community is concerned about the conflict between the United States and China. And I would say that last March it reached its worst point. Uh, That was a terrible, terrible time. And it's made improvements since then. In other words, both sides recognizing that a terrible economic war or a terrible military war would be terrible Mm -hmm. and so that there is now a better amount of talking and I think it'll be important for the world to hear him and then also um, to continue to paint the picture of China's role in the world as a um, a as a peaceful uh, productive party in the world Mm. do you think people will be convinced I think actions, take, actions will be important over a period of time. People, I think, sometimes come with their stereotypes. They don't know China well. I've been lucky. I've been going since 1984, so I know China pretty well. Uh, but still there are questions. So I think over a period of time, it's more a matter of the actions that are taken. Now,
0: since the meeting between the two presidents in San Francisco last year, we see both sides have drawn up some specific to-do list and they're trying to deliver so far so good
9: so far so good yeah
0: Uh, however uh, this is an interesting year 2024 you have in the United States one of the most eye-catching elections and you have in China an economic transformation where people are asking about the economic growth so how do you see these two events
9: in two very
0: different countries, working on the bilateral relations.
9: Uh, I believe the elections in the United States are one of the greatest risks for the world <clears throat> because the United States is internally having a great conflict between values um, and that's brought about populism and there's a r- rather extremism that's operating there so that neither side will accept Losing or subjugating themselves to the other side. This election is going to be a question for democracy. Can democracy work it out? Can the United States work together or will the factions break it apart?
0: And for China, of course, as has mentioned, uh, there is an economic transition to put it into a, a, a diplomatic phrase. So, how do you see the adjustment of its economic uh, uh, potential? Is now working on the relationship between China and the United States.
9: There is an immediate uh, problem that has taken place because of the uh, uh, real estate problem, caring to the local government, financial problem. Those problems are manageable, if well, managed well. There might be forms of restructuring, they need monetary policy, and the like. They have an effect on people's attitudes and their willingness to spend money and so on. That's, of course, um, an, an issue. And then there's the international issue. Um, international conflict with the United States the um, the problem with that is also a, a problem from the US perspective foreign investors or foreign com- companies worry about being sanctioned in China so it might be actions that could come from either the US side or can come from the Chinese side and then there's still the remarkable developments of Chinese technologies and Chinese productions. Look at the leadership that's taking place in um, no. wind and no uh, electric vehicles and uh, even the, the development of uh, the chip race. Um, you know, that's an American-Chinese competition, and it's really quite remarkable how effective that is. But, of course, that also, in the competitor's view, represents a risk so you look at marketplaces Europe will electric vehicles what will the roles be and so on mm-hmm. so those competitions are going on and how they're handled I think will be really important now
0: uh, China has been focusing on the so-called four news as you know new infrastructure new energy uh, new technology and also new consumption well, Chinese like to come up with these power points But how do you see these direction likely to drive the growth of the
9: economy which is very very critical right now internally uh, there's also of course uh, the dual circulation concept and so there's the external and there's the internal I think internally entrepreneurship the ability to tap individuals and come up with that creativity to invent and to be able to resource them with capital is a very, very, very powerful vehicle in this competition. So I think it'll be very important that there's um, that support of the new types of things that are going on that you mentioned, and also um, then the dealing with the old issues to deal with the uh, real estate, the debt restructurings, and all of those, I think that those those are important. So I would say in China, um, there are issues that you have to do the debt restructuring, there's a a deflationary force that needs to be dealt with through some form of a combination of restructuring and then getting the monetary policy right. It can be managed. The other more important question is the direction of um, how do you value those incentives of the market. We see the entrepreneurs that have been the most evident on the international
0: stage over the past 15 years, let's just say, you see there is a generational change that's taking place. We haven't known the newest names yet. They're not visible on the international stage yet, but there is a generational change. Meanwhile, you see Chinese companies are getting ever more global, given the circumstances they're facing uh, in different parts of the world, including back at home. So how do you see these elements, given your observation,
9: are working into this transformation as we speak? Um, I think the idea of a dialectic, when things are at odds, and that creating the energy for making the movement forward is so apt now. I think that there uh, most likely will be these tensions and these trade offs that are going to have to be made. But I think the Chinese force, in terms of the, the power, the development, is going to remain a great force in the development of China. And I think in both countries, what's most paramount importance is how they operate with their people to be strong and productive.
1: That was Ray Dalio, founder of Bridgewater Associates, speaking with my colleague Tian Wei. That's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. A quick recap of the headlines. Chinese Premier Li Qiang has called the world to stick together in the face of challenges. A mainland official says communications between the mainland and Taiwan must be based on the 1992 consensus. China's GDP grew by 5.2 percent in 2023. For more discussions, you can find us on the X platform at CGTN Radio. I'm Liu Kun in Beijing. Thank you for staying with us. Bye for now.